I mentioned earlier um, that we had a church uh, board planning meeting. It's all right, Dan, I can talk while you're, you're leaving. That's fine. Um, and what we did was, and you remember we, we talked as a congregation some months ago about the missional church survey, and we looked at our six strength areas, and we looked at our six, six areas where we know we need to do some work. And so that was basically what we focused on in that planning meeting day. And one of those things that is, we went through that some months ago, we recognized was at least indicated as an issue, was that of unity and harmony. And so um, we discussed that a little bit in that, in that session um, a week ago Saturday. And um, I think we were in some ways scratching our heads a little bit and saying, I'm not sure why that was that way. In fact, others said, I really don't see it that way. Maybe it had to do with the way they asked some of the questions on that, and that's how people responded. And, you know, we're, I'm even asking the question, if there is a unity harmony, harmony issue, how do you address that? You know, I think very often it's a matter of, of individuals dealing with the things that they need to deal with. So what does a pastor do? He speaks on that topic. He preaches about it. And that's what I'm going to do today. So here you go. And I, um, I, you know, thank you, Omar, for reading that passage. Um, I'm, my focus is going to be more on the, um, the first three verses. But I, the last three verses of that passage say, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. Unity, unity, unity. Togetherness. Do you hear that? Did you know that the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, NASA, and the Air Force have something that uh, it's a unique device that they use to test the strength of windshields on airplanes. The device is a gun that launches a dead chicken at the plane's windshield at approximately the speed that the plane flies at. The theory is that if the windshield doesn't crack from the impact of that chicken carcass, it'll probably survive a real collision with a bird in flight. I mean, frankly, as a pilot, I don't want some bird coming through the windshield and... You know, knocking my head off. <laughs> it's detrimental to your health and it's not good for uh, the flight of that airplane. Well, it, it seems that the British were very interested in this and wanted to test the windshield on a brand new high-speed train they were developing. So they borrowed the FAA's chicken launcher, loaded the chicken and fired at the windscreen on this high-speed train. That ballistic chicken shattered the windshield, broke the engineer's chair, and embedded itself in the back wall of the engine's cab. Uh-oh. The British were stunned and asked the FFA to recheck the test to see if everything was done correctly. Have we missed something here? And so the FFA, FAA, excuse me, FFA, I was in that in high school. The FAA reviewed the test thoroughly and had one recommendation, and this is how they responded to the British. Thaw the chicken. 
Basically, what you've done is shoot a cannonball at that train. (laughs) So the moral of the story is it doesn't take a very large foreign object to bring down a high-flying aircraft or stop a high-speed train. And think about it. Compared to the size of an airliner or a locomotive, a chicken is a small thing. But under the right circumstances, that small thing can cause tremendous damage. If you research church fights, disunity, and church splits, you will find that most occur over things that should be considered small. Now, that is not to ignore the fact that there have been some major schisms in certain denominations over theological and moral issues, and in those cases, disagreement and maybe even a parting of the ways is appropriate and justified. But in many cases, that's not the issue. It's not theological or moral. Frankly, it's stupid. It's some stupid thing. And, you know, we kind of look on on the outside looking in, it's like, you got to be kidding me. Until it happens at your place. (laughs) For most of you, what I'm going to say today is a reminder of things you probably already know. But sometimes we, we we need reminders because we're not always so good at putting into practice the things that we know. Amen? You know, there are many ways that Satan can attack the body of Christ. And sometimes it can start with only one person. Some little issue, we get disgruntled about something. And you know what they say about that? Someone who's unhappy, they tend to gather others around them. And they begin to share, you know, I guess what happened to me. You know, can you believe the color of the pews that they put in the church? I can't believe that. You know, you're right. So we have, we have a tendency, don't we? I mean, we want to know that there are people in our corner and sympathetic to us, so we kind of begin to gather our own little army and we're preparing for the fight. And, and very often, again, a lot of this is, is little stuff. It's, it's really in the big picture insignificant. It's not a big deal. And because it's not effectively dealt with or properly dealt with, it becomes a big thing to that individual and that group that kind of is sympathetic to them. And here's what happens then. Satan takes that ball and runs with it. And it ends up causing disunity. And he loves that because disunity can render the body of Christ ineffective. You might say, Pastor, we don't have anything like that going on in our church. And that's okay, and I hope it's true. But we need to be aware so that nothing like that does happen in our church. Think about athletic teams. Think about work groups. Think about combat units. Unity is essential if these are to be successful, and disunity can be disastrous. 
And you know what? It only takes a pinhole for Satan to get a toehold, and from there he can begin to wreak havoc. Something that's tiny, he begins to tear open. And pretty, you know, I almost thought about bringing a log with a splitting wedge today. That's the whole point with a, a wedge is to split that log apart into usable pieces. But that's not what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to split the church apart into unusable pieces. And folks, a small thing ignored can turn into big trouble. And here's a sad thing. I think it's sad anyway. Sometimes it's people who have been in the church for years. People who, you know, you could understand it if it was somebody brand new to the faith and you'd say, well, they just don't get it and they need to grow. But when it's folks who've been in the church and walking with Jesus for years and years and, and you see them as mature and they, and they begin to make a fuss because they don't get their way or something happened that offended them, and they take it from there. To me, that's, that's heartbreaking. We should know better than that. You know, Paul understood the importance of unity in the body. He also understood that Satan will do anything he can to disrupt unity because he knows that in doing so, again, he can render us ineffective. So here's what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you've got any of these things then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul said that in the interest of maintaining unity within the church at Philippi. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writing again, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow, are you kidding me? That's pretty high calling. But we're talking a little, about a little different situation that they have than they have down at the business that maybe you work for. We're talking about an organization, if you will, that has been infused with the Holy Spirit. I mean, He lives in us and works through us, and we should be able to do things that they can't do down at IBM. I read that to you in NIV. Let me read it to you in the New Century Version. It says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg you, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with each other and not be split into groups. I beg that you be completely joined together by having the same kind of thinking and the same purpose. Amen. 
Then Paul does something, I think, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that's very, 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 very important for us to remember. Consider the source, because often it's like, well, Jan? <laughs> Consider the source. Let me tell you. Well, let me tell you what the source is. And Paul reminds us here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You want to attack somebody over what's happened to you? Go to the source. Because that's where this stuff comes from. Doesn't it? We're not sure. See, this is a caution against lashing out against human opponents as though they were the real enemy. They're not. And what happens when we do lash out at one another and, and then we begin to experience that distance and separation and disunity is it makes us susceptible to attack. Do you know what hunting lions do? Hunting lions, if you've ever watched one of those things on television where, well, the guys sit back and watch the girls do the work, frankly, is what happens with lions. The lady lions do most of the work. But what happens is they, you've seen them, boy, they're sneaking up through the grass and there's a, uh, there's a herd of, you know, zebra or gnus or something out there or antelope. What they're doing is they're looking for that one that's kind of straight away from the herd. And pretty soon they're rushing. Well, the, 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 the goal is to cut that one off so it can't get back to the herd. And what happens? It becomes lunch for lions. We're reminded in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let's separate him from the herd and we will eat them up. And I want, to, I want to just spend just a moment on what Peter says here at the beginning. Be self-controlled and be alert. Be self-controlled. This is talking about, at least in, in, in application to what we're, we're thinking about today, being self-controlled is talking about how we react when we disagree or are offended. Be self-controlled. I'm going to call them up and give them a piece of my mind. You know what? I'm, I'm going to sit down. And, I've gotten some of these. I'm going to sit down and write a letter and tell them just how I feel about what happened. Well, I just won't ever talk to them again. If that's the way they're going to be, I'm out of here. Oh, wait a minute. Here's the best idea of all. Wait. This is the age of high tech and social media. I'll just air my grievances on Facebook. It happens. And folks, let me tell you, there are times when confrontation is appropriate. But it needs to be done in the right spirit with the right goal in mind. Understanding, reconciliation, and an effort to maintain unity. 
See, you can confront a situation in the wrong way. And in doing that, you have every possibility of exacerbating the situation, of making it worse. That's why self-control is so important. If you come into a confrontation with guns blazing, you're only going to make the situation worse and create disunity. Proverbs 15.1 is a good reminder for us. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We have to remember how we have to approach people when we disagree or are offended or been sinned against by them. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to go to them with the spirit that desires reconciliation and understanding. Self-control, it's a fruit of the spirit. Self-control. And then Peter says, you know, be self-controlled. You also need to be alert. What's he talking about? He's talking about keeping an eye out for the lion. It's a recognition then of where what you're dealing with is ultimately coming from. I mean, it might come through the vessel of a human being, but who stirred this whole thing up? Well, the enemy of our souls who'd love to see disunity and division and and. That we would have ought against each other. Be alert. Keep an eye out for the lion. I mean, think about this for a minute. Who would want to drive a wedge between you and someone else in the church family? My wife worked uh, at a grade school in eastern Oregon where we lived and pastored for a number of years. And she had a, a, a principal, good one, really good one. His last name was Casbon. He, took, he brought Julie in for an interview. And he said, I have three top requirements of any employee that works for me. Number one, you must get along with people. Number two, you must get along with people. Number three, you must get along with people. <laughs> Boy, is that great advice for the church. Folks, if there's any place where people should know how to get along and deal with differences and offenses graciously and effectively, it's here. Charles Colson, in his book, The Body, said this, It is not difficult to understand the two most frequent reasons people give for avoiding the church. The first is, all Christians are hypocrites. The second is, Christians are always fighting with each other. To the first, I invariably reply, all Christians are hypocrites, I invariably reply, sure, probably so, come on and join us, you'll feel right at home. (laughs) But I haven't come up with a good answer for the second. So what are the wedges that divide us? There's where I wanted to bring in my splitting mall and a wedge and break apart a log, but I thought, you know, what if I missed? Or <laughs> Then the uh, church property guys would be having a private conversation with me and there might be some disunity there and I don't know. <laughs> Number one, wedges that divide, unwillingness to forgive. 
Despite the fact that Scripture is clear about the necessity of forgiveness, we have a tendency to rationalize all the good reasons we have for not doing so. Well, you don't understand my situation. Nowhere in the Scripture... Oh, excuse me, number one. They didn't ask forgiveness. That's one of our reasons. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say that someone must first ask our forgiveness before we forgive them. Now, if you can find it and prove me wrong, I'll be glad to admit my mistake. But I don't see it in there anywhere. Mark 11, 24 through 26. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone... Forgive them so that your Father in heaven... Boy, there's a connection here that's kind of scary. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, my reason for not forgiving them is because they didn't ask forgiveness. Sorry, doesn't fly with God. Another, another excuse or reason we use is, well, they'll just do it again, so why bother? I mean, that's the last straw. It's happened once too often, and I just can't forgive them this time. Matthew eighteen twenty one and 22. Then Peter asked him, he's talking to Jesus. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Poor excuse. We can't use that one. Oh, they'll just do it again. Why bother? If I've had it up to here. The next excuse we use, a reason for, is, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. (laughs) How can we even say that? John Bevere, in his book, The Bait of Satan which is all about dealing with offense, says, writes, a person who cannot forgive has forgotten how great a debt God has forgiven them. Are we greater than God? And listen, folks, you can make up all kinds of excuses for failing to extend forgiveness to someone, but but this whole issue of forgiveness is critical to our spiritual welfare. Matthew 6.12, Forgive, this is in the, the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And then a little later in that same chapter, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Leap. Luke 6.37 Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And here's something to think about when this comes to this whole issue of forgiveness. 
How many of us would want God to forgive us the same way we have forgiven others who have offended us? Here's another wedge. Assigning motive. They did that on purpose. Just to embarrass me. Well, I I just know they did that to irritate me. They did that just to make me look bad. They said that because they're jealous. Or, they said this, but they really meant that. And we begin to assign motive. Basically, we're telling people what they think. I think the only one that knows what people are really thinking is God. And so what we've done is we, we've placed them in this difficult position right away because we've assigned motive to them. Well, they did that because. I just know it. And we don't have that right, folks. You know, um, God has called us rather than to see the worst. And we're, we tend to be human beings are worst case scenario. Let's face it. You know, when I go to the doctor and I've got a pain in my side, I'm just sure it's something really bad. Oh, it's just a muscle stitch, you know. It's, a, it's no big deal. You'll get over it in a few days. And I'm thinking, oh, surgery, hospital. And we tend to put that over on people, too. We think worst case. Oh, they were out to get me. Oh, they don't like me. Oh, they did that just to do this to me. Instead of seeing the best or looking for the best or trusting in the best or believing in the best in people. Another wedge. Personal agendas. Personal agendas. This is the way I think it needs to happen. This is the way it should be done. There's only one way to deal with this, and it's this. I'm the only one who's really got this thing figured out because I've heard from God. You know, a church, a church was considering a building project. They went through a long process of planning, discussion, and input. One particular gentleman who was a member of the church board had opposed the project from the very beginning. When it came time for a vote by the board on whether to proceed with this project or not, his was the lone dissenting vote. In other words, they, dissent, they said, yes, let's move forward. However, on the day that construction was to begin, he was the first one to show up with tools in hand. The majority had decided to move ahead with this project, and because a decision had been made, he was there to show his support. The unity of the church was more important than his agenda. Folks, we have to ask, what does God want? And I know, in our humanity, we don't always come up with the same answer. But there are times that despite our feelings or opinion about something, we must trust to the work of God in and through the corporate body And rather than digging in our heels and fighting to the bitter end and seeking to gather others to our cause who are sympathetic, we need to get on board and be supportive 
Because unity is more important than our own agenda. And by the way, pastors are not immune from this either. Well, I think we should do this. Well, the board's saying, boy, I don't know. I think we should do this. I have heard from God, and everybody knows that pastors hear perfectly from God. So, you know, they say if you've got one finger pointing this way, you've got three more pointing back at yourself. I'm certainly susceptible to that as well. And then another wedge. Obsessing over the inconsequential. Kind of pointed to that a little bit already. A lot of the things that cause disunity in the church are truly, in the big picture, inconsequential. I mean, I don't like, you know, the church voted to cover the pews in puke green. And I don't like puke green. But the church voted to cover the pews in puke green. So, I'm not going to take my ball and go home. You know, maybe I'll wear sunglasses or... (laughs) Obsessing over the inconsequential. Uh, Tom Rainer, who has a website that deals with growing healthy churches together, said this. I was reading one of his blogs recently. It began as an innocuous Twitter survey, but then it blew up. A lot of church members and leaders were eager to share about fights, schisms, and conflicts in their congregations. They were likewise eager to point out the absurdity of these issues. They were the ones we've all heard about. Temperature of the worship center, color of the carpet, order of worship, color of the walls, you know. He says, but the fights shown below, and I was looking at a website are a bit unusual, and in fact, most of them are downright absurd. And he listed 25, and I'm just going to cite a few examples. A church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. A church argument and vote over a clock in the worship center. You guys probably wish I paid more attention to the clock. That's not funny. (laughs) A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown. Two, three, or four drawers. A fight (laughs) over which picture of Jesus to put in the (laughs) point. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee that they served. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks blend. Thank you, Jesus. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members of that church, in the latter example, where they just moved to a stronger, they left. There was a major conflict in the church when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years. Can't have that. Some some church members left the church because one church member (laughs) hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and church split. So there was the 
free and open vacuum crowd and the hidden vacuum crowd. First church of the hidden vacuum. And finally, there was a dispute in the church over whether people should be allowed to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. I always thought it was red, but hey, what do I know? Silly, inconsequential stuff that have caused fights and disunity and even splits in churches. And we laugh and we say, we look on the outside looking in and say, that is silly, that's crazy, how could they have a fight over that? God help us that that would never ever happen here though. Because remember, Satan's always looking for a way to get his foot in the door or a toehold. We have to understand that some things that upset us are not worth being upset over. Not everything that is an issue with us is an issue with someone else. Let it go. Folks, there are just some things we have to let go. It's not worth the fight. Parents know that. Don't parents know that? You're raising kids, especially your ages and teenagers. And listen, if you went to the mat for every issue that came up, you'd be fighting all the time. There are just some things you say, you know what, it's not that big a deal. We'll just let that one go. There are some things where you really have to take a stand. And I mentioned a minute ago, there are theological morality issues where we've got to take a stand. Just, you know, I can't go there. But folks, a lot of this stuff that we just... You know, when we're going to dig in and build a fortress around ourselves and really go to battle, it's not worth it. It's inconsequential. Let it go. It's a wedge. And here are the... How much time do you want to spend here today? Yeah, I might do a part two. This happens to me. You know what happens is I get rolling. It's like, oh, here's some more good stuff I need to tell them. Oh, they need to hear this. <laughs> well, I, 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 to tell you what, um, I'm going to talk about the neg- negative impact of disunity next week. Okay, I think we all have some ideas about what those things might be. But really, not only, do, uh, you know, we've looked at churches that, you know, have gone this way, but we need to look a little deeper and see really what kind of impact that has on the witness that we're supposed to have as the church of Jesus Christ. All right? So um, you will get, and you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to go back and flesh this last part out a little more. Because I would hate to only preach for ten minutes that week. That would kill me. There's disunity in our church because the pastor won't shut up. (laughs) Did I hear an amen? Somebody squeaked an amen back. I think we're going to have a closing song, are we not? Well, that was quite the good transition, wasn't it? Nice and smooth, smooth transition. I was thinking you could keep preaching and I'd have been okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, everyone may have felt that way. It was a good sermon. We, we need to be one in Christ.
We need to be serving Him together and allowing Him to be Lord of our lives and, and more importantly, Lord of our church. So thank you. Here, I'll get closer to it and you can turn it down. That's what it's saying. Well, let's stand together. This is a song that I believe that you all know, so we haven't done it ahead of time because you've sung it before. But uh, the title, Hallelujah, or it could be, Your Love is Amazing. And uh, with that amazing love of God, let's uh, prepare ourselves to walk out of this building, but not out of His presence as we continue to worship Him throughout every day of our lives. There we go. Stopped the last song early, didn't I? Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain from beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, why you gently lift me when I am surrounded. Your love. 